Welcome to Gatecrasher Podcast. I am David, he, him. You'll notice the distinct lack of giggling in the background. That's because it's just me this week, plus a special guest who I will bring in momentarily. But first, I just want to say, if this is your first time listening to Gatecrasher, that here at Gatecrasher Podcast, we believe that tabletop gaming is for everyone and that gatekeeping, limiting access to information participation, is the domain of the knave and the fool. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that, actually, later in this episode. So we want to get conversations started, crash through some gates that may be holding you back. Be sure to follow us, leave a review on your favorite platform if you want to hear more, and have something to say. But today, I have somebody who has something to say, and that somebody is Rainy. Hello, Rainy. Hello, I'm Rainy. They, she. (laughs) Great to have you on the show. Uh, Listeners who are familiar with our practical podcast, The Esoteric Order of World Players, will, of course, recognize you from there. You just wrapped up a... Or, I mean, you're just starting, rather, yeah. a, uh, we wrapped up a Monster Hearts <laughs> game that you played in, and now you are <laughs> starting, good Lord, I can't keep track of it <clears> all, <throat> and you are starting a Ryutama campaign, which is yeah. a lot of fun so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that a little bit with our topic today, too, because I think there's a reason that for me it's going okay, and it's a familiar genre. <laughs> I had thoughts on that as well, so mm-hmm. we'll definitely get back to that. But is there anything you want to say to the listener who may not be familiar with your particular set of skills, as they say? <laughs> Very particular <laughs> set of skills. Right. Um, hello. I'm, I don't know, I guess gaming pedigree wise, I typically have considered myself a forever GM, but that's been changed and shifted <laughs> playing with EOR. Mm-hmm. I can play more now. I do tend toward, I'm like the antithesis of the Des games, um, fantasy and whimsy uh, <laughs> in my games. And yep. so I am often causing trouble in the Gatecrasher Discord <laughs> every time you guys take a dump on D&D. Um, I get dumped. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just mean have a bad take on D&D, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which I take incredibly personally. But yeah, I enjoy all sorts of games. But yeah, I think I do my... If we had to have like specializations and classes like we were in an RPG, I would definitely be on a weird multi-class between whimsy and horror. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Whimsical horror. So, Interesting. Yeah, I think so I'm Pulp fairy Cthulhu. tale or something. Or? I think I'm just Pulp Cthulhu. Pulp Cthulhu. It's okay. like horror that you can survive, but it's still gross. <laughs> It'll still leave you scarred. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good way of putting it, I think. So yeah, so what's going on for you lately? I mentioned Ryutama. Anything else uh. going on in your gaming world? Playing anything, prepping anything, painting anything. <laughs> Always trying to add additional games for some reason. We have talked about a game we may play in the future that no one else wants to play. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> honestly, lately with all of the Spelljammer stuff coming out, I keep telling Zante I want to run something like that for him. And he's like, why? And I was like, because no one else will play it. So you just have to solo it. <laughs> He has not been interested so far. 
but this is your partner slash lab animal Santiago, yes. who you yep. <laughs> who you will yeah corral into playing games with you that no one else wants to play correct uh, <laughs> yes which is a pain my partner Desiree knows all too well although that's actually what introduced her to her favorite game Vampire the Masquerade so you never know you never yeah. know what's gonna hit so it's that's true. cool yeah I, I I have a soft spot for Spelljammer for sure I think yeah it's, uh, I, how can you not it's oh space clowns there's a part of the universe in Spelljammer called clown space so I don't wow yeah wow yeah okay you you sold me because <laughs> I was already I already had one foot on the ship because of the giant space hamsters which yeah. I've known about yeah. long time. but um clown space wow yeah okay is that an ode? Do you know if that's an ode to Killer Clowns from Outer Space? It has. It to be, absolutely I, I is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, they've set it up because as they were doing like the new edition of Spelljammer, they realized there wasn't like a fiend option like mm. in the setting. So they made space clowns who are terrifying. But like the lore behind them is that every like world in the like multiverse that has clown lore somehow came from these space clowns visiting their planet at some point so yeah wow <laughs> they're terrifying and i love them yeah you got hippos you got space clowns it's, you can't go wrong no you really can't <laughs> i don't think i could beat that but so let's see here obviously the ryutama game Yep. And then I feel like I'm cursing myself because the last two times I'm like, oh, I'm really looking forward to playing GURPS tonight. The session's gotten canceled. Oh. So I'm just not going to say it anymore. And maybe it'll actually happen. But I'm looking forward to playing GURPS at some point mm. <laughs> in the near future. Yes. And just for those of you listeners following along with my saga project with my Anglo Danes, I was up till 2.30 last night putting the finishing touches on the shields and other bits and pieces with the figures. And now I just have the basing left. So I'm pretty stoked about that, actually. That's super cool. Yeah. The main thing is I got to do, I got to have my monk with the Jesus banner. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. He's ready to go into battle in the name of Jesus. Wow. And he's got a little club. So he's a first level cleric. So how's that for a segue? Hey, uh, calls from beyond. I would love to play A Call From Beyond because we have two, but the Anchor app, I just have to say it, is a piece of flaming garbage uh. that for the user as well, according to the feedback I've gotten, but even for the creator, because I get the notification that we had a call, but then once the notification disappears, I can't access it on my app. Penny oh, no. usually handles this and he's away. Oh, you'll just have to, to do like a catch up episode that's like all the calls from beyond when he gets Honestly, back. that's like a goal for us. Like we hope to eventually get so much feedback that we have to just every fourth episode have to just do an all feedback episode. That'd you be know? super cool. Because yeah, yeah, your responses and reactions and conversations that come from the calls from beyond is yeah. one of the fun parts of the show yeah. for sure. Yeah, since we're not doing Calls from Beyond, we'll just transition into our main topic <laughs> with the doodly doodly do sound right here. Okay, so we're in the main topic. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of editing. <laughs> the magic of editing. Yeah, so what are we doing this week? This week we are going to, we're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. And it's a system spotlight, but it's also kind of a live 
feedback, a live slug reaction <laughs> situation, because Rainy, you, like you said, you have thoughts every single time Kenny and I take a dump on D&D. So yes. we're system spotlighting D&D, but with a particular, what would you say, a particular angle on yeah, the game. Yeah, for sure. I think what we'll focus on a little bit, we'll talk a lot about some fifth edition happenings, but really talking about what does make the system unique, where it does and doesn't fit, and where this sort of adversarial air comes from around it, and how mm -hmm. to be more welcoming at your table, even if you're not a D&D table, but your potential new awesome player is D&D background, and so being cool about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you play D&D? <laughs> Whatever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Play a real game. So normally we start out our system spotlights by asking, what is this game? I think it's fair to say most people listening to this have at least heard of Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, because it is somewhat synonymous with the idea of a role-playing game to the extent yeah. that if you're talking to a non-gamer and you say, I play RPGs, they say, oh, what? I don't know. I'm trying to think of, oh, like fan Final Fantasy or something. <laughs> like they think of some yeah. video game, right? You and you're like, no, wow. no. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, no, like a tabletop RPG. You know, like they look at you blankly and you go, Dungeons and Dragons. They go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, now it's if you say it's getting more ubiquitous. But yeah, if you try to say something like pen and paper, I think even in the modern crowd, because who plays pen and paper anymore? It doesn't seem as common. Right. Or like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like a board yeah. game? No. <laughs> yeah. But if you say Dungeons and Dragons, people at least have, especially now with Stranger Things and stuff, even if they're not directly familiar they're familiar exactly and of course for anyone over a certain age there's associations with moral panics and satanism and all this mm -hmm. other cool stuff it has a lot of cultural baggage and like normally we do talk about the history of a game's development we're not going to go through the whole thing it's so today. much <laughs> it's so much that's a whole episode <laughs> unto itself people have literally written entire books about it so yeah. from multiple angles as well like the development of its design the business side of it there was a book that just came out on that i'm currently listening to a history of the role-playing game industry that spent half of a whole book on the first 25 years of D&D. Yeah. So no need to really get into those nuts and bolts. But suffice to say that the game has changed quite a bit over its nearly 50-year history. So Rainy, I'm going to ask you, as someone who has been playing D&D for a while, the last couple editions, through the last couple editions, and you're, you've been keeeping up with the latest iterations, you've run some of it recently, etc., what would you say, the game is currently in its fifth edition, came out in 2014, I believe. What would you say is the core activity of D&D in its current iteration? I would say it's teaming up to take on adventures. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> teaming up to, okay, so it's a team-oriented game. Yeah. And it's there um, are technically rules for like small parties and solo play. They do not work very well. Like the game is really built around the idea of a party with roles being filled. Although you can play with that a little bit as long as you have a group to mm -hmm. handle skills and stuff. But yeah, it really is a team game. It, okay. No yeah. 
Trust me, I feel that. I think that's yeah. I think that's always been the case. And definitely when it was just me and my friend Alex trying to play RPGs back in the 90s, whenever we try to play D&D, it was extremely challenging because you're playing a magic user. Okay, how are you not going to die? Or right. and I think you're playing a fighter, edition, how are you going to heal? Yeah, like it's kind of less thing. strict about roles. Like you don't have to have tank melee ranged heals to be successful, but it helps to have multiple PCs to be successful. Like you can play an all bard party and it's totally valid nowadays, it works. And there's so <laughs> many different specializations, you are mm. all functionally a different class of bard. Like mm. it's fine, mm. but soloing that still just makes it difficult because you just can't have very exciting challenges as a single mm player in fifth edition as much i know some people will disagree but that's just been my experience with it okay yeah i think that's fair but let's define adventures so you're teaming yeah. up to go on adventures what is adventures and as far as like taking on adventures i think part of it is like the necessary mindset in DD, and this is where tables can run into issues you have to be a character that's willing to engage in adventure and take on quests and get the MacGuffin. Yeah, it's finding out whether or not it's tied to your background that something needs doing and a hero, a group of heroes is needed to handle it because the poor everyday folk of the world cannot do it. And you have to be like, that's totally us and just go for it and then get into the story. I think like, hooks in D&D are a little bit light because the idea is that you're just willing to engage with yeah, taking yeah. on tasks. And so sometimes if you're talking campaign length, it's something that gets you into this broad worlds, little continent spanning adventure maybe, or like digging deep into a society or whatever. There's usually a lot of combat. There's usually a lot of socialization and yeah, and hopefully, depending on how you're running, a lot of choice into how you end up resolving things. But yeah, it's it can look very different, but I think the idea is like a set of challenges, whether they're skill-based challenges, combat challenges, whatever. Okay. Yep, that all makes sense. And that's something that has changed, I think, because yeah. I think in earlier iterations of the game, the core activity I would take your your excellent summary and modify it to say like you're a team of adventurers who go out and explore the world yeah you're i think it was like a dungeon crawl like more well, than anything yeah yeah it's it starts and that's like kind of the archetypal exploration right you're really going into this unknown subterranean space and finding out what's there and then it got extrapolated out into like a wilderness you know you're going off into the wilderness <laughs> right. and you're finding out what's out there but there was no, I don't think there was necessarily an assumption that A, there would be a plot to follow or B, that you would even be good guys. It, it was much more in that find kind of the treasure. Yeah. yeah. Whatever means necessary kind of thing. I would say like know? when I play with people who are used to older editions of D&D, the mentality mm -hmm. is much more kick down the door. If there's something inside, fight it. Don't even mm -hmm. question it if it's aggressive or not. <laughs> Yeah. Loot the body, um, yeah. check for traps, move on to the next room. <laughs> like it's, yeah, much more mechanical in that way, which I think in the new edition, you are punished for having that mindset in any of the published materials. Obviously you can still be a DM that runs that way. Yeah. But I do think it's 
not very common in fifth edition. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So yeah, so in terms of fifth edition, we're just going to dip our toe into the development of the game. When we say fifth edition, that's actually kind of a convenient fiction because this is edition like God only knows. There have been yeah. so many different versions for a while, for a good long while, there were two different product lines of basic D&D and advanced D&D, both of which went through multiple editions. There's zero edition, which is the 1974 original. And basically about 20 years ago, they just said, fuck it. This is the third edition that we're putting out. <laughs> Everyone can just deal with it. And since then there's been two more. So now we are on quote unquote, fifth edition, which has, like I said, came out in 2014. So we're coming up on almost a decade, which is a pretty average lifespan for an edition. And right. apparently Wizards of the Coast, who are the current publishers of the game, are planning on doing a big 50th anniversary edition, which some people are calling sixth edition. Personally, I think they're just going to call it D&D. They're not even going to put an edition label on right. it and just say, this is D&D for the rest of all time. Because I do feel like with fifth edition... They did actually get it, get the game to a point where I feel like it's a pretty, pretty good distillation of what D&D is fundamentally. And kind of cherry picking the mm -hmm. parts that worked from all of the previous editions or yeah. the parts that feel nostalgic. There are definitely some people, there's a weird like group that's coming around to like, oh yeah, I guess I shouldn't have automatically hated fourth edition. There's a lot of cool elements here. Um, so that's a oh, resurgence right now. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah. It's like people going to new kids on the block concerts in their 40s. Just... <laughs> so yeah, but I agree with you. I think they were really careful to pick, to make the best of basically like anthology mm -hmm. of D&D. Yeah. And then what, whatever this next iteration is going to be, they're going to just take the, the stuff that shook out from fifth edition that like, oh, we actually didn't need that or that yeah. that's not working too well. Get rid of that, polish up, keep. Yeah. And no, Vampire 20th edition, they did the same thing where it's, you know what? Everyone yeah. liked the Masquerade era, but what if we pull some of the new rules that actually worked from New World of Darkness and Chronicles? Yeah. So. And then just called it a day, you know, yeah. like, you know, there's not going to be a Vampire 30th anniversary. Well, we, we actually passed that milestone last year, so I can yeah. say that definitively. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know. I don't, I don't foresee other than maybe just, yeah, like a reprint cleanup kind of revised edition or whatever, maybe, but it's pretty much, yeah, Vampire 20th. Yeah. It's like, if you like old school Vampire the Masquerade, that's all you really need, literally. Yeah. Games can reach the end. There's sort of a tradition in RPGs of like constant edition changes, but sometimes a game just reaches its platonic ideal and doesn't really need new editions. So I think and that's honestly, kind of where d is at. Yeah, I think we're in a state too where it's because you guys have mentioned in previous episodes, like comparatively, D&D &D has a higher cost to entry because you have three core books instead of one. And I think we are getting to a point because of all the choice and the awareness of other games out there, they're going to be hard pressed to sell a whole new core book set every few years like they used to do. Yeah. I still have full bookshelves of third edition and fourth edition upstairs. And because people nowadays are like willing to spend on the campaign books and the extra monsters and all of that stuff. But I think it's a harder sell to be like, and switch the rule set the way that they used to be able to do it when I think people didn't see as much choice out there. It's if you want new campaigns, you got to be on the new edition. So you have to do it. 
Yeah. And now people can be like, we're going to screw it. We'll just go play Call of Cthulhu or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Which, of course, again, not to get too deep into the weeds here, but that's one of the reasons why fourth edition failed was it was such a radical change from third. And yeah, people were just like, and that's a similar situation with fifth right now, where, which is if you're just getting into the into fifth edition, either as a new player or just changing editions, like there's so much third party material out there. It's yeah. ridiculous. And that's both a boon and a bane. Totally. It's like, there's a ton of stuff, but there's also a ton of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's I do think generally speaking, you can get into D&D, even official campaign stuff without knowing the lore very well. It feels mm. more like Easter eggs for the nerds. Mm. Ooh, look, they said Elminster and everyone like pees their pants or whatever. Right, but you, right. if you don't know who that is, they're just an NPC that happens to show up. It doesn't matter if you don't know it, where I feel like in some games... Personally, I've had this issue where I'm like, if I don't know every god and the history of this land, I'm going to be screwed if they ask me a question. I, um, I can't imagine what you're talking about. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but even going back to World of Darkness, like vampire feels yeah. that way oh, nowadays. Yeah, big time. Where it's like, oh, even I though, don't know um, the whole yeah. history of their apocalypse. So <laughs> yeah, no. E even though both 20th anniversary and fifth edition vampire, which has oh. been a different continuity, both went out of their way to say, it's okay if you don't know the whole meta plot, you can, and you can just say something is different and right. nobody's going to come knocking at your door telling you you're doing it wrong. And in fact, I think in fifth edition, if I remember correctly, fifth edition vampire, you can even, you can even take certain elements in your character background that like where you define at least how your character remembers certain events, you right. know? Yeah. So, you know, it's even baked into the character system where it's like you can introduce uncertainty or some variability to the backstory. Even then, I, yeah, I definitely am sweating when I run yeah. down there, you know, <laughs> or Desiree's character kills yet another elder. And then I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I'm looking in this their bio. the whole history. Yeah. Or it's like, looks like they were going to die eventually, but not for another 15 years. Mm -hmm. Now I need to figure out what happens between now and then. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, no. it's so dense, but. Um, it is. So with D&D, like D&D started out as a toolbox game. It was, hey, you just want to do some like fantastic Fantastic miniatures gaming is essentially how it was originally marketed. Right. Here's a rules framework to do that. And you can just make up whatever you want. If you want like hobbits, you can have hobbits. If you want Martians, green Martians or red Martians or whatever, you can have those. And even though nowadays it's a bit more prescribed, right? It's like the, right. it has an official setting, the Forgotten Realms and all that kind of stuff. It, like you say, I think it still retains a bit of that toolbox feel to it because clearly people are still making up their own campaign worlds there are actually right. alternate official campaign worlds you were just talking about spelljammer being one yep. of them <laughs> ravenloft eberron yep so yeah and that's i think that is actually one of the strengths of the game is that it really does still have that both implicit and explicit invitation to just make it your own and do whatever the hell you want with it. And uh, that's think, really hard to resist. Yeah. yeah, and most of the campaigns and things like that have a section in the front that's like how to drop these locations into your game world if it's not Forgotten Realms. So they have like little guides on like mm. how to, like ways, strategies to do that as well. So yeah. I, I think it's, they understand like there's so much home brewing <laughs> that being said when people have asked me about getting into gaming and they usually say D, &D as yeah. the name for all playing <laughs> as exactly. we talked about i my recommendation is typically 
if they have an option, I don't recommend D&D for first time role players mm. because I do think the rule set is not the easiest to learn. It's, I also recognize that D&D can be the easiest game to get into just because of availability of game groups compared mm. to other games. And so that's the weird balance. It's if you're new, playing D&D might be the way you get a table, yeah. but... It's not the game I would recommend if you're like, I want to figure out role playing and see if I like it. I wouldn't recommend DSG for that. Yeah. And that's like we were saying, fifth edition is probably the best iteration of the game so far. Yeah. And even then it's still a bit Byzantine for sure. Yeah. My journey was like, I got into basic D&D for that very reason. It was like D&D and RPGs were synonymous in my mind. I don't think yep. I even knew there were other RPGs out there until ironically, I went to buy my copy of D&D and walked into a game store and went, what the hell? <laughs> shelves and shelves full of games. But, but I got basic D&D and back then, it was like, oh no, you've got to play advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Basic D&D is for basic people. So then I had to make that leap from basic to advanced before I could even find a group to play with. It yeah. was wild. So Man, I definitely the feel wild that. west of trying to find a game group back in the day. I know it's still mm. a thing now, but people yeah. don't even know. No. <laughs> like you kids bad. don't know how good you got it. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask people on the internet. On the internet. <laughs> yeah, for real. And then in terms of setting choice, like that was my my D and D golden age corresponded with the I think probably no I'd say definitely the most prolific era for official settings of course obviously nowadays oh, yeah. with DM's Guild you have a ton to choose from but back in the day the TSR which is the previous publisher of D&D I believe at one point in the 90s they had 11 official settings that you could choose yeah. from <laughs> and people I know like one of Kenny's things is there's this idea that is sold to people that like D&D &D can do any setting, which is not true. I agree. But I feel like old editions were way worse at perpetuating that idea than current oh. edition where it's like they had that weird cyberpunk setting like in the oh. older editions that I forget what it's called now, but it had some derpy name. And yeah, just stuff that was like, I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> Oh, I think my favorite example of that is that you had Ravenloft, which of course is still hmm. around, and that's your sort of gothic horror fantasy setting, which is a weird flex. First of all, it's just weird to be like, hey, D&D, but what if it were a 1950s hammer horror film? It's okay. Sure, let's go that way. So, I mean, that is an example, right? Or it's like right. people say D&D can do anything. It's like, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. But then in the 90s, they took it one step further and they released a spinoff setting from Ravenloft called Mask of the Red Death which was a weird name for that setting because it was literally set in this kind of like 19th century gaslight era wow. setting, like a real world <laughs> setting. So I don't know why they called it Master of Death because that's like a medieval, anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, that's if you wanted to do your Draculas or your Phantoms of the Opera, that was the setting for that. I actually played a short campaign in the Master of Death setting, which was very weird, like playing a psychic medium with like, you know, a level two medium with, you know, like a 
Thacko and, um, you know, non-weapon proficiencies and shit. You know, like, it was very strange. But yeah, they, credit words do, they were willing to experiment. They fragmented their customer base in the process. And it's one of the reasons they went out of business. But I respect that. But so speaking of like D&D can do anything, let's take a look at this. We're talking about the history of the game. We're going to get into the mechanics in a minute. But yeah. Let's talk about this attitude, which has been, it has been featured on this very show. Yes. By myself Certain and Kenny both. unnamed people. I'll, <laughs> I'll name myself, I'll include myself. I know Kenny's yeah. a little bit more vociferous about it, but, yeah. but it's this idea of D&D versus everything else. And I think one of the reasons Kenny gets so heated up about it is because he's on Twitter a lot. Yeah. And oh, yeah. you see this a lot on Twitter from both sides. You see the D&D partisans who are out there actively saying, you can do anything in D&D, or I don't really care to learn any other game because I know right. D&D. I don't like, you'll see tweets where recommend me a good game about 1920s horror investigations into the right. mythos. Don't say Call of Cthulhu, I'm not interested. And then, then people will be like, oh, D&D can do that. It's, no, I hate that. What? But then we get the other side where people are like, D&D fucking sucks. Why? Like, it doesn't even do fantasy. Why are you wasting your time with this? <laughs> so is this just a case of the big dog, like, attracting all the attention? Or what do you think? I do think part of it is we're going to have conflict because D&D is owned by Hasbro. So it is like the evil corporate overlord. Yeah. So every other RPG company, even if they're an actual company and not some indie dude putting out zines or whatever, yeah. comparatively feels indie and you should be supporting them instead. I get that. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's one of the reasons, even on my end, I haven't like podcast run D&D for years because it's like they don't really need more attention. Yeah. Even if I enjoy playing the game, it's I don't really want to be like, and go out and give Hasbro more money. Oh, that's they 100%. Don't need it. It's fine. Yeah, same with the esoteric order. That's why we are yeah. the esoteric order. We're, right. we're esoteric. We don't play D&D on purpose. And partly it's because some of our players don't like it. But it's also just because, yeah, like you say, they don't need more attention. Not necessary. Um, so, so I think that's part of it. We're like, no matter what comes out, it's going to be like, that's them because they're uh, this giant company. And I think the other part of it too is like you said, D&D, when you learn that system, it mm-hmm. is a bit of a badge of honor because like I said, it's not the friendliest system to learn mm-hmm. to do well. And so when you can do it well, there is this, I don't really want to move to a new system because I finally mastered this thing, especially as a DM. Yeah, like yeah. running D&D well is definitely <laughs> a skill set. Yeah, um, yeah, we can maybe get back to the mechanics, just talking yeah. about the DM's role for sure. But I can see that being part of it. But even then, it's like, what I think D&D does well with its settings is it's it's just a thematic change. It's But what if it's D&D, but instead of having a bunch of mimics and rats mm-hmm. in the cellar, it happens to be vampires and werewolves, and that's 5th edition Ravenloft. And yeah. Or what if it just happens to be in this frozen north with a mysterious goddess and there's a setting for that. Yeah. And, but I don't think if you're like, I want to really dig into like the consequences of seeing these horrors and the toll that takes on your mind, you're not going to get that out of D&D except through role play, but not mechanically. And maybe that's what people are leaning on. 
I think like, that's well, what you can yeah. RP your way. Through yes, <laughs> that that is. I can hear Kenny screaming all the way from Indiana because that is definitely what gets under his skin. Is that yeah. a lot of times when people talk about D and D can do anything, what they're really saying is the system can't handle it. Then you just improv your way through it. And if right. you could say that about any game, it's not. That's not yeah. particularly D and D. Really, but what also, you're saying at that point is the right group can do it. Like that you too. can. Yeah, improv and RP your way through tons of stuff if you're a group that engages that way with a game. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people only engage mechanically or to start focus on mechanically engaging because they're not, they haven't developed that confidence level yet. 100% been in those groups and it's exhausting. exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, where the game Um, feels like a checklist at that point. Yes, exactly. Like we were talking about, I check for traps. I open the door. Or even, a, the or even a board game where it's like they can't play the game without a tactical battle map on the table where they're mm. literally moving their characters like their board game pieces instead of yeah. just setting the mat out for combat or even not using a mat at all. There's this kind of logical fallacy, I think, where it's like because D&D requires system mastery and requires a lot of work on the GM's part, that if that's all you're playing, you assume that every other game is like that. So you're like, why would I want to start that process all over again? It's like why I have dabbled in foreign languages, but I've never like committed myself to learning another language. Cause I'm like, I'm still learning English. Like I'm still <laughs> trying to master my native tongue. Why would I want to go and like fart my way through some other language that I could barely order a burrito or whatever. That's what I, I also like, link my exploration of languages to role-playing because for me it's cool i really want to learn this other language but what's the point if there's no one else to talk to <laughs> like oh, no one else will yeah. learn it with me also right. the gamer dilemma <laughs> yes because of course they say the best way to learn a foreign language is immersion just be around native speakers as much as mm-hmm. possible same with the role-playing game you're absolutely right where it's like yeah. <laughs> oh how many times have you either heard about or God forbid personally witnessed the sad spectacle of the one player who has dragged the rest of their group into some non D&D game and everyone else this just person <laughs> literally just politely putting up with it until they wrap it up and they can yep. return to D&D. That's functionally what I did with our local group when we were still playing. <laughs> I was like, all right. We finished our campaign, which is a big deal when you finish campaign because it usually takes multiple years. <laughs> and then you're like, but now we're going to do something a little bit different. And people are like, I don't know. That seems weird and difficult. And like the numbers are different. <laughs> and I don't know how a D100 works. Yeah, you exactly. know, they get there. But it's yeah, it's a struggle. So I think there's some of that versus attitude that's coming grassroots coming yeah. from these two very oppositional attitudes that I think are rooted in misunderstandings on both sides, not to be too Mm. equivocal about it, but I think both camps don't fully appreciate where the other camp is coming from because you're like, you're trying to convince the other person like, no, you fool, you know, like, why can't you see it the way I do, you know? (laughs) And like, I I don't know, you knave, you fool. I don't know why, like for myself as a 13 year old, like the second RPG I ever bought was GURPS. Because like, other than the fact that at the time I was like, hell yeah, it's generic and it's universal, I'm into it. Like I was already ready to leave D&D as a 13 year old. I was already, (laughs) put me in the spaceship and let me blast off to these other realms of imagination. But if I can do it with this universal system, so much the better. So I don't have to learn a bunch of different games. Now that didn't work out in practice because actually it turned out my ADHD brain was like, ooh, I want to read a bunch of different books and absorb everything like a sponge. I think it's 
fair just to bring up background wise too. I know yeah. the assumption will be that like I'm just like being nice to D&D because that was like my first system. It's like your first mm. doctor in Doctor Who. It wasn't. <laughs> it was my third system. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like vampire and then I got the GURPS vampire book. Speaking of oh, GURPS. Yeah. yeah, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. <laughs> yeah. And then I had friends who played third edition and I think at that point it was even 3.5. And wow. then I got into D&D because that's what they were playing. It was a matter of no one was playing the game I knew. So we were playing yeah. D&D instead. Yeah. And it was the same for me because like we moved shortly after I got into gaming. And so I needed to find a group and I was just like, I'm going to be mercenary about this and just assume <laughs> that you know, I'm not going to find anyone who doesn't play anything other than D&D. Although weirdly, the one time I did do the like pin a note card to the bulletin board at your game store thing, uh, trying to look for a group. This is back in the 90s. Like the people who called were all playing these like super obscure games from like the late 70s, like Arduin and uh, Privateers and Gentlemen and all these other ones. <laughs> and it was like, it's like, okay, well, that's too obscure. Like, I don't right. like that's too far <laughs> that's, on the other end. You've lost you know? me. Yeah, exactly. Can, you, and can we play then, How do you source the book? If they right. decided to be the cool kids, they're playing this like <laughs> weird esoteric game. No offense. Right. Like, but. Oh, well, no, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't even find this because if it's not in my local game store, <laughs> it's not possible to get it. Yeah. Like, like literally, Privateers and Gentlemen. That publisher did not exist by the early 90s. Like they weren't even in the distribution chain. It's just, it's not going to happen. Anyway, but I do think that another direction the whole D&D versus the world thing comes from is, you mentioned it already, you touched on it, is from the corporate side. Because whether it's TSR in the past or Wizards of the Coast today, for whatever reason, there must be some weird corrupting influence just being <laughs> yes. the D&D IP holder because they always end up the bad guys yeah. and not for illegitimate reasons. TSR was <laughs> horrible. They were yeah. horrible. They were litigious. They would file, and I talked about it a little bit with Mythos. <clears throat> Pause for cheers and applause. But anyway, <laughs> talked about it a little bit already with Mythos. Um, TSR suing that game out of existence. Yeah. And back in the day when I was on the internet in the 90s, if you were cool, Every time you type TSR, you typed T dollar sign R to indicate how fucking corporate they were. Yeah. Ooh, they're like the Microsoft of the gaming industry. Right. Um, but yeah, Wizards the decisions not, they make do not yeah. change that viewpoint. <laughs> like they exactly. act like a big right. corporate, a big evil corporation. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Wizards is not as bad because they're not like super litigious, but like they make some really questionable choices and they're absolutely. They're beholden to their Hasbro masters and they fire people who don't deserve to be fired or they hire people as like token diversity hires and then that yeah. comes out and it's really ugly. And there's some legitimate criticism against wizards, really. Totally. And so I think that's another piece of it. Just well, yeah, absolutely. Like Which, you said, it's like anything valid. else is the indie <laughs> choice. The other thing yes. about that, though, just from the corporate aspect, and one of the reasons, again, I think it's the hard transition away from D&D if you're looking for a game where materials are available, because mm. I've run into this problem trying to run new systems here, it's I need something to work from, an example, because I'm not familiar. Like, mm -hmm. they're like, here are all these scenarios and campaigns and like 
they're easy to get on every platform because they are a big corporate overlord who can do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Even just the like the aforementioned DMs Guild. Yep. It's, oh, there's nothing official. Let me go on DMs Guild. Yep, there it is. Somebody already did this. Cool. Yep. I'll just use this. I will say like the times I've dip my toe even into not not even D&D specifically like when I was running Palladium Fantasy a couple of years ago it's since it's basically a D&D hack anyway I was able to just go and find third-party D&D materials that I could just port over into Palladium with almost no effort yeah maps scenario hooks tables descriptions things that happen yep (laughs) urban encounter tables yes exactly (laughs) honestly like 70% of stuff in that campaign was not taken from Palladium products. It was taken from other materials. And and in that sense, like D&D style fantasy becomes, well, that was the other thing I wanted to say, actually, in terms of the appeal of D&D, is that it has essentially become its own thing. It is no longer influenced by other things. It is influencing things now. And by like the D&D movie, for example, obviously from the trailer we can see is like chock full of all these iconic D&D monsters. Many little references. I saw Harper pin and my little nerd brain exploded. And I was like, yeah, it's own thing. And and that's exciting. Like people love to engage with that. And because it casts such a wide net, it creates this community. Okay. So I think that covers pretty well the pros and the cons of D&D as a phenomenon and as a right. concept. But let's talk <laughs> mechanics, because I think that oh, yeah. comes up on the show from time to time as well. Yes, mostly okay. the opinion that I've heard from y'all yes. is that yes. it's only combat and you're only rewarded for killing things. Um, uh-huh. uh, seems to be, a, yeah. The, yeah, that's, our, that's our hot take. Is the D&D, like, if you were going to have the little stereotype archetype of whatever each game system, the murder hobo belongs to D&D as, like, the stereotype. So I get it. (laughs) I don't think it's like any stereotype. I don't think it's necessarily true of everything that it's there. But I feel like that comes from older editions more than newer editions. I was just about to say, because Kenny actually has a copy of the original D&D box set, which I was paging through the other day. And there is an example of play in those rules. And it is like the most sociopathic, mechanistic (laughs) form of role playing I think I've ever seen, where it's like they're employing the collar, which is a very old concept that did not last very long. But it was this idea because originally D&D groups were imagined to be 10 to 20 people. And you would have a caller who was the representative. He was like your union steward that everyone would tell him what they wanted to do. And then he would talk to the dungeon master. Okay, just so that you didn't have 15 people all shouting at the DM at the same time. Interesting. So the the example of play is a Socratic dialogue (laughs) between the dungeon master and the caller. And then it just says, assume that the other players are telling the caller like what they want to do. And it's just this like mechanistic dungeon crawl of just like the caller's like, we turn left, we go down the stairs. The DM's like 10, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet. Now there's a door. We open the door. No, three of us listen at it first. Now we open the door. All right. Yeah, just there the are three seven heads nulls. stacked above each other, like right. listening just at to the like door. Max, but to maximize because yeah. you're only going to hear on a one out of six on a D six. So, oh, mm-hmm. three of us can listen. <laughs> so it's like a game, yeah. right? It is literally. It's very like, min max dependent. It's very min max. It's mm-hmm. very much like playing a board game, and literally the example of play is like they explore this dungeon, they encounter some gnolls, they kill the gnolls, they take their stuff. 
And I was yeah. like, wow, there it is right there. The very first ever yeah. playing game, killing things and taking their stuff. Check know? for traps, open the door, kill the thing, get their stuff. <laughs> treasure, divvy up the treasure. And yeah. I've definitely gamed with groups that are like that, even like more modern groups like Fifth Edition. Mm -hmm. groups. People do, there's certain people who do like that. I think yeah. the rise of the MMO, like World of Warcraft, siphoned off a lot of those people. <laughs> like they yeah. got off to play WoW exclusively, but there are still people who like to play like that. But yeah. as you have pointed out to me, that's <laughs> maybe not so much the case anymore. So yeah, that. I do think one of the attractors of D&D is still combat yes. because the classes all do feel very unique when fighting starts. And so they're like, oh, now I get to do my special thing where with skills, Obviously you can specialize. If you're the bard, you might be like, obviously I'm gonna take these charisma-based skills. I'm going to be great at persuasion and blah, 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 blah. But anyone can take those skills. They're not like, oh, you're a barbarian, so you can't take persuade. That's not a thing. But once combat starts, you all become unique, special snowflakes. So that's still an attractor for sure. However, they're, especially because combat takes so long, <laughs> There is a lot of reward in avoiding the combat, figuring out the cool thing that ends the combat quickly, like using your environment to your advantage and stuff like that. But like even campaigns, like there's a whole campaign, like official campaign, uh oh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, I think is the first one where they did this, mm. where every single encounter or challenge in the official campaign can be resolved without combat. It's not easy to do that if you choose to go that route. Nice. But it's right, possible right. as written. Mm. Like <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. And and I think with especially with the advent of like streamed games and things like that, which tend to be mm -hmm. actor heavy, it has pushed people more into the role play skills versus just the combat stuff. Yeah. So I, I do think like the balance has changed in D&D 5th edition with what the focus is. Combat still happens. I think it's still a central part of the game. But even in, so let's see, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So getting into all of those crazy levels of ruins and dungeons underwater deep. In the new edition, if you wander into a new section of the dungeon, it's, it is literally two it's so many rooms of dungeon <laughs> so it should be a dungeon crawl but you right. can walk in and befriend the ooze and then get to this next area instead of just being like oh whatever just blowing them yeah. up yeah 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 it definitely has shifted a lot <laughs> can befriend the ooze how interesting you should yeah <laughs> always okay so mechanically how does that work because I've had yeah. a little bit of experience with 5th edition, but my memory of it is it was still mostly like your class abilities are combat focused, your feats are right. combat focused. Obviously you have your skills, which allow you to do other things, but is it based in the skills? Is that how it works? Or? Yeah, so your skills are gonna drive most of your out of combat actions. Feats handle both. Like you can take a lot of feats that help you outside of combat as well, or mm -hmm. are giving you additional access to skills and things like that instead. Or you can pick the ones that help you min-max combat wise for sure. And I think especially because with feats, the trade-off is you can take a feat or you can increase one of your main stats or whatever. Like, I think feats have become the role play choice. Mm. So if you're a combat dude, if you're a min-maxer, you tend to go stat increase. 
And if you're a role player, you grab a feat to add more flavor to your character. But yeah, so skills primarily are going to be your out of combat actions. And then your class abilities tend to be more in combat because yeah. it's your differentiator. Mm. But when you're making your character, the stuff you choose for your background and everything usually gives you like a social in as well. If you're making your character and you choose the folk hero background, Mm. then it's anytime you're in like a small town or a village or whatever you're known and like people will buy you a drink and put you up in a tavern and you can get information more easily if you're an urban bounty hunter you have contacts in any city you go to so you can get information like so there there are mm. like these kind of non-combat mechanical parts of character creation as well outside of skills it's like ability trigger kind of things where it's, right. if you're in the you're the right character in the right place at the right time then this just automatically happens basically yeah, yeah. yeah. okay this so. one becomes unlocked in the dialogue tree there you go there yeah. you go boom yeah exactly okay that makes sense yeah because as i'm listening to you it's occurring to me like i think a lot of the people i know personally who have played fifth edition probably were in groups that wanted that kind of combat grind they right. were min maxers they wanted lots of combat and the folks I know, like Kenny or my friend Alex, who have gotten burned out on 5th edition, were in those groups and were like, I kind of would like to do something else. And everyone else was like, nah. Yeah. You know? I mean, as a DM, I feel like combat just gets repetitive <laughs> after a while. It's like, a fun when you get the new ability. Oh, everyone just leveled. And here's the first encounter with our new powers. Awesome. But then hopefully not a bunch of combat for a while. Or in my games, combat is usually a consequence of making weird decisions. Yeah. Like, oh, nobody, like, nobody checked at the door. Or, oh, you just went in brandishing weapons in the middle of Waterdeep. Like, you get a whole handout that's, these are the laws of Waterdeep, and you will get arrested <laughs> for these things. <laughs> like, and they're just, like, open carrying in yeah. the Waterdeep Walmart, basically. Yeah, yeah, this isn't Baldur's Gate. You can't just have your weapons out all the <laughs> Wow, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And it's yeah. funny, too, just to circle back on the history of the game a little bit, because the, and I've talked about this before on the show. Original D&D, as much as I said in that example of play, like, oh, it's all about killing things, taking their stuff. Like, it's mostly about taking their stuff. To yes. be fair. And that's where all the experience point awards really were, the bulk of them. And fighting something actually used up your resources, put your life at risk, and wasn't worth as many XP. So actually the smart play was to try and outthink a potential combat encounter and only fight if you absolutely had to. But there is something so much so fun about rolling a die, hitting something, and then rolling your damage and killing it. It right. just activates our monkey brains. Oh, I yeah. don't know. Especially when you get a critical and you're like, oh, I get more dice. Yeah, <laughs> you get that endorphin hit. So I think just in, in terms of that push and pull between the community and the publisher, the community pushed the game in the direction of combat. I think the apotheosis of that was fourth edition, where it was basically a tactical miniatures board game, yeah. right? You know, yeah. A well-designed one, but one that really pushed the combat part. It's hard. interesting is fourth edition is where they introduced the idea of like Skill an encounter right? can yeah. be a combat encounter or a, a social encounter or a social. skill encounter. Yeah, and like, exactly. And you get XP for any type of encounter. 
Yeah, um, I remember uh, I definitely checked out fourth edition and I remember thinking well, that's really cool, but it feels very half baked. Because uh, everything you know, in the system is there. still combat focused. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which was fun in a tactical way with a group where you're like, oh, sure. like I'm this type of character, so I can move myself and my allies in combat even when it's not their turn. And it's it was very much like Synergy. it felt like yeah, Final Fantasy Tactics, though. Yeah. Which yeah. <laughs> not like a role-playing game as much. Yeah. Yeah. If your group's into combat, that's really cool and everything. I do feel sympathy for the folks who, who want something else because apparently you can even get that in D&D. But that's, I'm really <laughs> taking that to heart and yeah. I will, I, that will inform me going forward. But I, I would yeah. say, oh yeah, go ahead. I would just say the balance, I think for me in an ideal D&D game, you yeah. would have a lot of opportunities for using skills to investigate things. So it feels like, which is familiar, many other games do that. Talk to people, randomly talking to NPCs to get information is a foundational part of D&D. Yes. And then you have these set piece combat encounters where it's, oh, we've done all this stuff to get to this place. And now it's like the boss fight. Or yeah. Whatever. And I think that's the natural balance of fifth edition. Not that everyone plays that way, but because, yeah, taking away all combat, I think, also makes it not satisfying because, yeah, your characters are built that way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's one of Kenny's pet peeves is, oh, we had such a great game of D&D last night. We didn't roll the dice once. It's just then you're not that's you're not playing in the spirit of the game. You're not engaging mm -hmm. with the mechanics then. And if what you think is a good game means not engaging with the mechanics, then maybe you should think about playing a different game. Yeah, find a game where that is the mechanic. <laughs> that is the mechanic. There are plenty of them. Yeah. And I think that's the other critique I've heard of 5th edition is that in an effort to not have it be too, like, over overcooked, too crunchy, to use mm. one of our terms, right? Sure. That they leave a lot to the dungeon master to come up with in gameplay. So mm -hmm. is that a fair assessment? Like, as a DM, you have to be able to, like, really think on your feet and improvise a lot? I think that's probably the case because I feel like that's my style and that probably mm. came from D&D. Mm. Like, I'm always prepared to, like, just improvise what happens. Like, I have a very vague, like, kind of web of events I know need to happen for whatever storyline. Like, even in Ryutama, like we were talking about, I'm like, okay, these things are there. Here's the next place they will need to get to. But I don't over plan like these are all the people there and stuff like that because it becomes impossible to manage. Because who knows what's going to happen? But maybe that skill did come from D&D. I feel like I feel like the way that fifth edition leans currently in its like official materials is much more sandboxy. I think old campaigns were much more railroad, like where everything was written out for you. And nowadays it's here's a place, here are all the places they could go to, different hooks to get them to different areas. Do your thing. So yeah, I do think it becomes much more of that to the point where I feel like a lot of what's on the DMs Guild, like you were talking about, mm. is guides to this is how I ran it if you need <laughs> more structure. Uh, like with Descent into Avernus, which is the big campaign where you go to hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there's, it's almost famously referred to, like you can run it the DMs Guild way, which is called like the Alexandrian method of Descent wow. into Avernus. Where wow. it's like this dude on his blog breaks down, this is how I changed it to make it make more sense. And a lot of people yeah. run it his version of Avernus. Wow. 
one. So you'll see that on like Reddit and stuff where people are like, oh yeah, I'm running Alexandrian and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's just part of the language that's, because that's something it's out so of chess. Open-ended. It's like, oh, I see you're using the Alexandrian <laughs> gambits. Like. <laughs> exactly. And then they start arguing about which random third party version of it is actually better. Like, oh, I don't like Alexandrian. Mm-hmm. I actually do it this way. <laughs> but yeah. I remember running when I started running Descent into Avernus. I grabbed a bunch of, oh, this person has a bunch of maps that weren't included in the book. And this person has, here are some extra like side things that can come up while they're in Baldur's Gate so it doesn't feel as linear. And it's, yeah, you just steal all these other people's stuff because it's, here's the city of Baldur's Gate. There's a lot of stuff happening. You can make stuff happen there if you want, or... You can just run them through these levels by running them through these locations. You can go either way. But yeah, I do think a lot more is left up to the DM. Even compared to Call of Cthulhu, like running Masks of Narlathotep, like I know <laughs> the places and what's going to happen more than I feel like I do in D&D sometimes. Oh, wow. That's interesting because I was just thinking about masks because prior to its current edition, it was like that where I, I was very vivid memory of being in a game store like 20 years ago with Alex and he was looking at, he pulled the masks book off the shelf and he was looking at it and the manager came over. He's like, oh, are you thinking of running that for your group? And he's like, yeah, actually I am. And he looks at me, he goes, is, is this guy in your group? And Alex says, yeah. And he's like, all right, come with me. He takes him out on the sidewalk and like gives him this like 20 minute dissertation on like, okay, so here's how you got to do it. You got to do this. And when you get to this part, you got to do this. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You know, like this kind of, I don't know. It's always fascinating to me when those sorts of spontaneous movements crop up. Yeah. And then it's something that it's weird because that's the way D&D has moved to get away from like the dungeon crawl mindset is to become more mm-hmm. sandboxy. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like for games like Call of Cthulhu in the new edition, it's mm. become much more like here's more materials and information to prepare you for this world. Which um, is in an investigative game, it's there's never such you can never have too much information to give out to the players. So yeah. 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 Um, Half the fun is at the end be like, here are the clues you didn't yeah, what you didn't know, couldn't know, <laughs> is that while you were in this house. Um <laughs> Cool. So um, do you have like a particularly favorite uh, mechanic from D&D of any edition? We don't have to limit ourselves to fifth, but you can go with fifth if you want. Mechanically, I think just to be contrary, because I know there is a human leaning preference here. Um, (laughs) I like when something that really you just do for flavor which is choosing like your character's species or race or however you like to talk about it ends up being something that you can end up leveraging mechanically like i had a campaign Mm. that it was based all about dragons and like tiamat and stuff like that they ended up in this place they get in there finally and there's like all these kobold underlings in there and Mm. one of our players is a kobold and so they start oh, nice. like, uh, oh, Reg is here to do this thing. And they're yeah, like, yeah. oh, you are also a kobold. Cool. Just let it happen. Yeah. Um, oh, they're with you. All right. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I also really like, it's not necessarily like you have to min-max to make it happen, but because there is this combat focus where the classes do feel different, like finding that synergy, which I think is something you do really well, even in non-combat games, like you mm. with Autumn, were like, these are these cool things I know I'll be able to leverage in this game. 
But yeah. like I've had games where they're like, oh, okay, I'm the wizard. I can make the rogue invisible using this spell and then they can do this thing, which suddenly makes us incredibly powerful. Yes. Uh, and oh I think God, that stuff yeah. when they figure it out is just so fun. Yeah. Because I'm not a DM that punishes them for that. Because the whole antagonistic DM thing is another issue that I just do not like that I think yeah. D&D in particular has a reputation for. But yeah, when they figure that stuff out, it's yeah, then they do the thing. Don't punish them for it by, oh, now I have to make it harder. It's let them be successful. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why story games go out of their way to be like, be your player's biggest fans. And right. look, it's that's really... It's fascinating to me how much, once you do go outside of the D&D circles, how much discourse, even within other role-playing game or rule books or adventures, is basically, to use an internet term, subtweeting D&D. Right. It's basically yeah. saying, we know you're probably coming in from D&D and you might have certain assumptions. So we're going <laughs> to tell you yeah. that's not how we do it around here, but we're not going to say why we're telling you that, you know? Right. like. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think yeah, it's I hear that, that sort of for stuff. sure. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely had those moments playing D and D, and I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. It's it is super fun when you yeah. discover, yeah, oh, this little background detail you picked out way back at first level is now suddenly relevant after <laughs> 20 sessions, or yeah, that synergy, like having a player get this uh, get a spell that suddenly allows them to basically infiltrate any location, no matter how well guarded, because <laughs> right. they use that in combination with one of their class abilities. And it's like, they are unstoppable now. And okay, part of it too, know. like does don't listen to this part, but if you are actually playing on paper D&D, it's like the moment where you're like flipping through like pages and all these note cards because there's way too much. And you're like, oh, I found the thing. Yeah. I think like Call of Cthulhu has those moments too where you're like, that we have that clue somewhere. And you're like digging through, like finding it. It's like that sort of feeling I think is super cool. You're like, I, I have it. Let me find it. It's, it's somewhere in all of these notes. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. For myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a hot take. Ooh, I'm gonna okay. Go ahead with a hot take, <laughs> and I'm gonna say that I actually one of my favorite facets of D and D that I think is still even to this day very unique to D and D, in spite of being imitated many times over, is alignments. Ooh. I think originally alignments were probably developed partly because it was just Im imitating Michael Moorcock's cosmology and his Elric novels, but also as a kludge to keep unruly murder hobos in line. Speaking of adversarial DMs, but what I like about alignments, it's almost like they're so bad they're good in that like they're stupid, but at the same time they've created, they've helped to create this entire D&D &D cosmology that we were just mm -hmm. talking about. They, If you took alignments out of D&D, &D, I don't think it would be the sort of self-referential engine that it is now. It created the entire universe the planes of existence and yeah i do you know. feel like nowadays having a it's more common to have player characters that don't list an alignment mm -hmm. but your alignments are still very much there when you're talking about like the various pantheons and stuff exactly. like that and how it, you interact it. with the yeah. world and so i think yeah that's totally cool i like me help mechanics and i know dnd is not yeah. the only game that does it but i yeah. do think the system of, oh, that gives you advantage because they chose to use their skill to assist you. I like those things too. <laughs> exactly. No, totally. Yeah. And and alignments are like that too, theoretically, yeah. if you're 
if you do have an alignment and you're playing to your alignment, the DM should give you advantage. Yes. And that I've heard it said like advantage is this, this great mechanic that nobody ever uses. <laughs> I don't know how true that is. It's a nice idea at the very least. But like for fifth edition, in terms of alignment, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier, which is it feels like a refinement of an older mechanic that maybe didn't work super well. The way it's implemented now is probably like the best expression of it in terms yeah. of what you're saying, the pantheons, the cosmos and all that kind of stuff. So it's, yeah, you don't have to have an alignment. Orcs are not inherently evil anymore. Right. Not all chaotic evil. Like yeah. these aren't like objective moralities that you are genetically coded to have and therefore right. it's okay to kill this creature or whatever. Right. That's definitely a bad direction that alignments went in. Yeah. But I just find it fascinating, the legacy of the alignment system, because it's, like I said, it's even though it's been imitated a lot, I still feel like it's part of that core D&D flavor. That also so. brings us back to, I think, one of the biggest problems with D&D as far as not being a player. This is honestly a game where it's like being a player is much easier than being a GM. <laughs> but like knowing their alignments, knowing all their background pieces, knowing how and when to invoke those, because players don't always offer that. Like, oh, in my background, it says blah, could die, blue. It's like the expectation in D&D compared to a lot of other more collaborative games is mm. that you are the keeper of all of that knowledge. Yes. And you dispense it to them, <laughs> um, which I think is really difficult. Yeah, <laughs> That's, I think, the hardest sure. part about D&D. For sure. And that might actually speak again to its enduring popularity, which is that D&D is one of those games where you really can just show up to the table and be like, all right, what am I doing? Tell me yeah, what I'm doing. Absolutely. You know? yep. Whereas other games like GURPS or, um, you know, even Monster Hearts would be another one. Yeah. For sure. Where it's like, totally. as the player, it is your responsibility to know what you're doing. Like you have to be able to parse out at least what's on your character sheet and bring that to the table. And it is not the GM's responsibility to tell you yep. what's going on. But D&D, yep. &D, you can absolutely offload that onto the DM. <laughs> right. I think we've covered a certain facet of D&D. Like I say, I think it's too big to do a single system spotlight on, but I think sure. we, we've definitely covered, we've brought another voice, another perspective on D&D. So thank you, Rainy, for doing mm -hmm. that. Do you have any concluding thoughts? He asks leadingly. Um, I do, I think, and we started to get into this talking about how there is this like kind of us versus them <laughs> around and yeah. some of the stereotypes that come with D&D players and things like that. But since this mm -hmm. is the Gatecrasher podcast, I think a helpful skill set maybe or thing to keep in mind is when you are deep in a role playing game, especially one, there's a certain level of code switching that happens, which mm. I mean, you and Kenny know that happens because you try to catch yourselves and be like, oh, when we say this is what that means, there's sure. a language that goes with it. Yeah. And I think one of the ways we get judgy sometimes when people come from other systems is we'll take the word for a certain action that they might be familiar with and be like, that's not called that here or that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if someone says, I want to make a perception check and you're playing Call of Cthulhu, you know they mean spy hidden. <laughs> like, yeah, right, right. Or even um, just calling all game masters dungeon masters right, right. exactly <laughs> yeah, right, which right. i 
do all the time. Like I forget to call it different things between systems. Or even recently, we talked about how like in World of Darkness, they use chronicles and things like that. It's like, right. that's a fine term to use. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, so we don't want to get too like, oh, we'll use like language gatekeeping where it's, it's a great opportunity when someone says, oh, coming from a D&D mentality, I want to investigate the bookshelf but you're playing Call of Cthulhu or whatever. And you go, great, do you have a skill that would give you expertise in the like what you're looking at here that you can utilize to, to see right. if there's anything wonky? So like bringing them into the fold rather than getting judgy with it, or right. just you shouldn't assume every D&D player coming to your table will have the murder hobo mentality. I shouldn't expect that every Call of Cthulhu player that comes into a D&D game is just going to want to investigate everything. It can be more nuanced than that. And so just making sure that we know even we're not judging people based on their background. That's functionally what we're talking about here. Like just because you're playing something different or maybe you don't think D&D or whatever they come from is the best game. Like I play Dungeon Crawl Classics. That's weird, but cool. However you came up like that we're not accidentally, not even on purpose, getting these gatekeeping moments by just acting more judgy about it. It reminds me a lot of when I worked in the video game industry, like mm. people be like, oh, but what game do you play though? And that determined if you were a real gamer. Oh, right. you play The Sims, not a real gamer. Not You're a, a mom gamer, gamer. <laughs> like yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I think we don't want to fall back into those tropes of, oh, like, you're not a real gamer until you've played a collaborative storytelling game. I do think that's something to aspire to because I think it's a really cool experience to have. But I do think like sometimes the language that we use can make people feel like, oh, like I'm not cool enough. So I'm just mm -hmm. not going to engage. Yeah. And I think it can be an accidental kind of gatekeeping yes. moment for sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. I think a lot of the frustration on that's been on this show in the past has come from that sort of middle ground gamer who's like, all I play is D&D, but I am interested in something other than like D&D fantasy. What do I do? And we're over here like waving our arms going, there's cool shit over here. Right. And they're like, yeah, but it's not D&D. And we're like, you know, like, so, uh, you know, I feel like for folks who just love D&D style fantasy, play D&D 100% of the time. I have zero problems yeah. with that. And if you're trying to do other game experiences, but still use D&D, I wish you luck. <laughs> but <laughs> I would just say, please try and consider other games. But for myself, when I've had like full-time D&Ders come into a different game, I do try and disengage from that assumption. Oh, they're just hack and slashers or whatever. Yeah. Now I might, do a little preamble and just say, so in this game, combat's super deadly and it's not really the point of the game. So yep. definitely you want to think twice before you just go charging into combat. But I think that's just that's just courtesy. You're, you're right. just saying, hey, you want to have a good time. So I don't want your character to die in the first 10 minutes of gameplay or something. No, yeah. totally. I've had that exact session zero, <laughs> like moving people from D&D to Call of Cthulhu. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some assumptions that we will make about the game are going to be different as players. Here's what they are. And it's mostly about combat and using a library, please. <laughs> it's, you don't have to be a wizard to go to the library. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. I think for myself, and I'll just throw in my contrarian view to myself. I'm being contrarian to myself to end it on a positive note, because I just want to say like, you know, I think D&D and, and the sort of stories that it generates and the types of memories that it creates are still some of my favorite memories, honestly. And we're playing Riatama right now. And you as a GM, you're getting to like showcase this whole other side of yourself <laughs> as a GM, including doing all these goofy voices and stuff. Oh man, that's the best. I it's love so it. much fun. And <laughs> if there's nowhere else to feature that, like you can't do a voice like that in a Call of Cthulhu game or a Monster Hunter game. Yeah, it, or whatever, it is a little weird. Right? Yeah. That's the thing. I get so excited when it's, oh dang, it's one of them whimsical fantasy games. And then in session zero, it's straight, oh yeah, there are animal people. And like, you have made the biggest mistake of your life. Because yeah. Is the thing, and I was even talking to Des about it. It's oh yeah, I get to use this D and D like whimsy and adventure skill set that I don't always get to use, but it's where it's one of my happy places, and it's why even though I love Call of Cthulhu, I would agree with Kenny. It is my forever system if I had to pick one. Oh wow, okay. But I only play Pulp Cthulhu because I want it to be the kind of like a little bit more slapstick in a way. A little bit more survivable. It feels more like an adventure than something you're trying to endure. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> the question is, how much of a shell of a man will you be at the yeah. end of this? Can your character actually make it to the end? In Pulp Cthulhu, yes, because you'll yes. just spend all your luck to do a weird <laughs> comeback yeah. in the middle of nowhere thing, and it's fine. But yeah, <laughs> so that tends to be the, what I gravitate towards is the, a little bit more lighthearted. And so... I think D&D does that well. And yeah, you can play more serious, gritty games if you want to. I don't. <laughs> like, that's why I think Spelljammer is sounding so fun because it's just so yeah, dirty. And it's like, yeah. why, yeah, why wouldn't you play that? It's hilarious. But yeah, and so I've been enjoying that in Riyatama where it's, oh, it's this magical fantasy world with talking animals. Yes, let's yeah. go to there. And that's the thing. And I think we talked about our Teepling Union episode, possibly our most <laughs> controversial episode to date. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it really is like, for me, there is a switch and I liked to be in that low fantasy zone. That's why I like Pendragon, etc. But like, uh, if I'm in high fantasy, I don't, like with Ryotama, we've got all these animal people running around and stuff. We got a, a bear man and a Fox woman and all this other kind <laughs> yep. of weird shit. Cat person, contraband dealers, yep, yep, <laughs> so forth. Yep, yep. Walking eggs. <laughs> and it's, it's like, at a certain point, it's, yeah, let's go. Let, let's just open the gates and just, and I think that is where D&D really shines is like when you just acknowledge there's some really silly shit in this yeah. genre and just allow that to be. Yeah. <laughs> like with Glorantha, I like to start out human-centered, but that's only because the rest of the world is so off the wall that that actually just gives the players a place of entry. And then right. as you're learning about the game, yeah, you can play a duck, sure. <laughs> or you can play a troll or some other weird alien being, but don't start right. there. Start with humans. But with D&D, &D, yeah. I do feel like we're all familiar enough with the tropes that you can just really go all out on that and just have a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And in fact, the people who try and take it too seriously are missing the point. Yeah, and the people get made fun of on the internet and they're like, drew a wild shape into an owlbear. And then everyone's like, 
you're a derp, go away. <laughs> like, no one likes you. <laughs> I will say that was my one like main criticism of the, the movie trailer is it was just too gray. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, it's make it psychedelic, <laughs> like just really go nuts, like bright colors, really, because I feel like they're trying to make it look like Game of Thrones and it's Game right. of Thrones is its own thing, you know, like no. differentiate yourself, make it super colorful. That's what I really liked about the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It's holy shit, there's color. Yeah, they <laughs> went know? 80s in the palette as well. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. It was like, it was fun to see all of the, and again, because I think the campaigns are written this way, like all the Easter egg stuff for the nerds. It didn't feel as like whimsical as I think like the good parts of D&D are. Because even when you look at the art, it's like gelatinous cube, one of my favorite things in the whole world. I love them. Any oozes are my friends. But like in the movie, of course, because it's like the realism version of D&D, it's like transparent, which is as described. So fair enough. But in the book, if you look at the art, they're like this weird, like lime jello. <laughs> <laughs> cartoony yeah. yeah always have skeletons and treasure floating in them like just lean into it have fun try to have yeah. fun for once <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a great note to end off so. so thank you rainy for for coming on the show and uh you're always welcome back anytime even when kenny's here um <laughs> i was like oh i don't get to yeah now he's just forced to listen and like fume as his beard <laughs> is like puffing out <laughs> no i think not like we said not necessarily go on podcasts or whatever but i do think that we should play in some sort of even if it's short D thing mm. to get out all the bad stuff about it. we could at least do like a one shot or something and yeah. just descent into clown space or something like that oh, you so know good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, till next time for me, until whenever we hear from you again, Rainy. I think that's it for now. Awesome. Um, Thanks for having me. Next, <laughs> absolutely. And so next time on The Gate Crusher, we will have Kenny back to tell us all about his Gen Con experience, which, based on his DMs to me so far, has already been pretty wild and wacky experience. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Cannot wait for that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell that.